Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Christian could have is that grace is only receive and not to be abound. As Christians this morning, we are truly grateful for grace. I believe it's because salvation is by grace. Salvation is free because grace is free. Grace has nothing to do with works or earning, and the reason is, simply, grace is free. Romans chapter 11, verse 6, if you look on the screen, the Bible says, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace, but if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What the writer is saying is, you cannot mix grace and works together. It's either you're working, and it's not by grace, Or it's by grace, and you're not working. And salvation is so, in that as we have received Christ as our personal Savior by faith, we know that it was nothing that we have done. But it was Jesus Christ who died on the cross, and he paid the penalty for our sins, and he rose again the third day for our justification. And by grace we are saved, not by works. And uh, the Bible is very clear, not of worse, lest any man should boast. And thank God we don't need to boast anything of our own merits this morning, but we are boasting and also we are glorifying our Savior who did the perfect work on the cross. And uh, thank God for the grace that he has bestowed upon us by his love and by his sacrifice. God justifies, meaning declare righteous, meaning He, in every way, proves us innocence by his grace. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, as we think about the fact that grace is free, we must, in every way, be joyful about the fact that we are in his grace and and that God's grace is not just for us to receive and rejoice, but I believe that we need to always recognize that we need to abound in the grace of God as we live in this Christian walk. It's not just for us to receive it, but also to abound in it. And we might be joyful about the fact that we will never face hell, and that also our sins are forgiven, and we are glorifying the Lord for salvation, for it is by grace. But let us Remind ourselves that grace is not finished with just the work of salvation. As we are living in this world, as we are Christians by God's wonderful grace, let us remind ourselves over and over again, we are to grow in grace and we are to abound in His grace. Grace is supposed to affect all the things that we do. Apostle Paul shares this very clearly in, encourage, uh, in encouraging the Christians in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye, what is the next word there? Abound in this grace also. 
As you are saved now, as you're saved by grace, Apostle Paul says, hey, you abound in everything, in utterance and faith and knowledge and also diligence, and that you could abound in that through grace. You see, as we have salvation, it was the start of grace, my friend. It is not the end of grace. As you have received Christ as our personal Savior, hey, he is not done with us. And uh, as we have our uh, uh, soul and spirit uh, sealed unto the day of redemption, meaning uh, toward eternal life, our, our, our Christian life uh, is, in every way, is the beginning, and, and we must recognize that His grace is needed every single day, and we need to abound in this grace in everything that we do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 8 as well. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency. I like that. You know, grace of God is always sufficient. And it's always enough. And uh, you might have some family trouble this morning, and you might have some financial issues right now, and you might have some uh, relationship uh, 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 illness, or uh, you might have some different uh, uh, agenda that uh, really surprised you, and maybe uh, a trial you never thought of. But grace of God is sufficient for you this morning, and he wants to uh, make sure you abound in the grace of God in everywhere and also in everything that you do. And the Bible says, may abound to every good work. So in both of these admonishments, the Apostle Paul exhorts to have diligence and good work. Now, is he referring to salvation? No. We work to have grace? No. He is speaking to Christians who have received grace already and who have started in every way the grace of God in their lives by receiving Christ. Now, by grace, we are able to abound in diligent and good works. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's not talking about salvation in those two verses that I shared just a moment ago. He's referring to Christians who have received Jesus Christ, who are now in the grace of God. He wants to make sure that Christians are abound in the grace of God as well in everything that they do. And abounding in grace gives us diligence and also gives us good works. Think about it for a moment. God loves us graciously. Freely. So we are encouraged to love other people. God gives to us graciously, freely. So we are encouraged to also give to others. God forgives us graciously and freely, so we are encouraged to forgive others. So with this one reasoning, you see how grace could help us abound in the Christian life. And of course, uh, grace has a lot more explanation than that, and also it touches so much, acid, uh, so much uh, uh, different corners of our lives, and uh, we could go on uh, explaining what grace of God could do, but that's just one thing, what the grace of God can do, and how we could abound in the grace of God in our everyday walk. So His grace inspires us to be diligent in our Christian life. Some people are very afraid of the word diligence, and maybe good works. Because maybe they're connecting it with the efforts of the flesh, or maybe the works of the flesh, or maybe with self-image, or maybe self-discipline. Now, of course, you know, uh, diligence alone and effort alone is truly vain. We know that. All the things that we do in the flesh, you know, uh, 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 it brings forth vanity. 
And Apostle Paul said it very clearly in Romans chapter 7, that in him there dwelleth no good thing. And uh, of course, flesh alone is going to bring vanity and it's going to bring disappointments. But I believe in the Spirit, and of course, especially in the grace of God, I believe diligence is a very good thing. If it's God inspiring us, if it's the Holy Spirit telling us, get back up again, if it's the Holy Spirit that's telling us, hey, you made some mistakes, but I give you another chance, and if the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is telling us, I will equip you, I will strengthen you, and I know you're not sufficient in law, but let me be your sufficiency, and if God's grace is doing that in your life, and you are being diligent, and uh, also you're producing good works and good fruit in your life. I believe that's very wonderful in the sight of God. Why? Because God gets the glory. And uh, as we think about diligence in the Bible, it's often found, and I believe it is spiritual and godly, as long as it is in the right place, and also it is produced not by the flesh, but by the Spirit and by His grace. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we're admonished to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 8, concerning ministry of the church, or he that exhorted on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it in simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, meaning a person in leadership, make sure he has diligence in the work of God. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 as well, and beside this, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and and we thank god that we get to have virtue in our lives we get to have the knowledge of god in our lives but uh, uh the writer said peter said make sure you give diligence to it in second peter chapter 1 verse 10 wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure for if you do these things ye shall never fall you see diligence is preached in the bible you know, we're not going to just live freely and do whatever we want and, and uh, be slack and be lazy in our Christian life and, and waiting for God to do something. And uh, there's nothing wrong with waiting for God to do something. And we think about tribulations and patience. But, you know, for us to use that excuse and not do the things that God has told us to do, I believe we're flopping in our Christian walk. And we need to make sure that we have the right heart concerning the grace of God and not abuse it. May the grace of God encourage you and may the grace of God strengthen you. And and may you remember how you are saved by grace and also how you are living by grace. And you have your family by grace and and you are uh, uh, making decisions by grace. You have this church by grace. And, And may you think about everything in your life and refer it to by God's grace. And by that, I hope you abandon in his grace and do everything with diligence. Diligence alone is very dangerous because of self-image, self-effort, and self-word. It can get very prideful. But when diligence is a byproduct of God's grace and it brings great spiritual fruit and change, will we agree that the Christian life should not be lazy and careless? Do we agree with that? Yes, I think, I think everyone could agree. If that's true, then why aren't we diligent as a Christian? Why aren't we diligent to read his word and maybe pray and maybe witness, even love and having peace and maybe forgiving somebody and maybe even being humble? By the way, humility takes diligence as well. You know, pride could just creep up any moment, and that is our sinful nature all the time. 
And it takes diligence to, you know, put on the clothes of humility every single day and be submissive to God. It's not going to just, you know, uh, happen overnight, my friend. It does take diligence, spiritual diligence to be humble. And it takes diligence to be kind. I think about uh, the other day, and uh, we were going to go out to eat with my family. And uh, I asked my children many times, what do you want to eat? And, uh, you know, sometimes they say it very clearly what they want. And they're kind of, you know, exploring. They didn't know what to answer. And Annabelle said, I want curry. I said, all right, you want curry? And she said, I want that curry with the egg and the fries. And, oh, okay, you want curry house. Okay. By the way, curry house, kids' meal is great. $6, you get, you get a pretty good meal there, all right? And uh, I know I promote a lot of restaurants when I'm preaching, but, you know, it's good. You should try it out, okay? If you don't live in South Bay, especially, you know, try out curry house. It's right around the corner in Artesia, right there where Fish Grow lives, okay? But anyways, uh, uh, by the way, I remember, I, you know, I mentioned Wendy's a lot, right? And uh, I love their chili, okay, and it's good chili. And I remember one family during Christmas time, they, he, they gave me a Wendy's gift cards. <laughs> and uh, that was very gracious of them. And now uh, don't, don't keep on giving me Wendy's gift card. I might die early, okay? And uh, just keep on drinking that meaty, you know, uh, uh, chili there. But uh, we went to Curry House, and uh, I remember going in and, you know how the procedure goes. If you're the first one in, and then, you know, uh, you're waiting. Uh, if, you're the first, if, you're, if you're the first one in line waiting and there's another group behind you, uh, basically, you know, you're the first one to be seated. But there's two men that came in right after us. And, uh, and uh, the person who seats the, you know, the people on the table, and uh, 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 that person said, wait a minute, and then he was getting other things ready. And these two men just charged in and then just went up to the front and that gentleman just gave in to, him, to them and gave them the seat first. Oh, I thought to myself, oh, that just really does not, doesn't really settle well with me. And, uh, you know, the flesh was working. And should I say something? And, uh, and then after a while, I did it. And, and, of course, after five minutes later, we got seated. And uh, as we sat together, you know, I just kind of relaxed. And, and the waitress was really fantastic, by the way. And she did a very good job. And, uh, but, you know, that first guy didn't really settle well with me. And, and the flesh said, you should say something, you should complain a little bit. But, you know, I didn't want them to spit in my food, amen? So <laughs> I said, you know, I'm not going to do it. And uh, guess what? When the bill came, the manager uh, uh, gave, uh, uh, gave one of our meals for free. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I could have just easily complained and did something and, and maybe went out there sour. But I think by God's grace, by the way, I gave it to the Lord. And, and I just said, dear God, let me just be kind. Let me just be patient. And by the way, that morning, you know what I prayed? I prayed about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, okay, meekness, temperance. And the Lord spoke my heart. And uh, before I dived into the curry, <laughs> and uh, the Lord said, you know, I told you. Uh, what you need to do in these kind of situations, you, ne- you should never complain. And, uh, and God gave me a free meal, amen? <laughs> but I'm just simply saying, you know, it takes diligence to kind of keep your mouth closed sometimes. And uh, just takes diligence to be a good Christian. And, of course, this has to be by God's grace. It's not you. It's not your self-effort. 
It's not by your own diligence. No, it's by God's grace. And uh, grace of God is not just about receiving, my friend. And that's why there's something wrong with the uh, uh, prosperity gospel that's going on in this country that's, that's prevalent. And, and uh, you know, uh, by God's grace, we'll get everything. Receive, receive, receive. But what happens is they abuse the grace of God. They don't abound in the grace of God. They're not diligent in the Christian walk. There's no sacrifice. And they take it for granted. They just think God is a giver and that's it. But ladies and gentlemen, God is sovereign. God is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And let us make sure to recognize today that God requires of us to be diligent and be sacrificial. And that could be done by his grace and approaching God's grace in an appropriate way, in a biblical way. It's about abounding in the grace of God. When William was 16 years old, he left home to find employment in New York City. He had previously worked in a soap manufacturing shop, and uh, even his father was involved in that. As he traveled on the boat to get to New York, he told the captain of the canal boat upon which he was traveling that he planned to make soap in New York City. He was very excited about it, starting a new work, being an entrepreneur. And this captain happened to be a Christian and gave him this advice. Someone will soon be the leading soap maker in New York. You can be that person, but you must never lose sight of the fact that the soap you make has been given to you by God. Honor him by sharing what you earn. Begin by tithing all you receive. After that day, William Colgate felt the urge to give to the Lord because he recognized that God was the giver of all that he possessed. Not only of opportunity, but even the elements which were used in the manufacture of his products. He later on, later on became a regular contributor to the funds of the Baptist Missionary Union and took upon himself the entire support of a foreign missionary. William Colgate also became a tither throughout his long and successful business career. Not only that, he gave not merely one-tenth of the earnings of Colgate soap products, but he gave two-tenths, and then later on three-tenths, and then finally five-tenths, 50% of all his income to the work of God in the world. And he contributes this effort and this giving through the great conver- uh, a conversation that he had with the Christian captain at 16 years old. And how the captain inspired him to give all that he had to the Lord. And that he gives all the glory and honor to God. And by, by God's grace, he'll be diligent. And by God's grace, he will give to the work of God. I'm sure many of you know now the Colgate toothpaste. And as we think about this Colgate toothpaste today, we could think about William Colgate who gave his company for the work of God. He said to himself, you know what, I have a soap manufacturing company, and of course later on he made toothpaste. I have things to make, but it's not going to be just about things, it's going to be about God. And by God's grace, I have this soap, I have this manufacturer, and it's been freely given to me of God, and I know how to make these things, and I know how to run a company, but I want to make sure that by, I want to make sure that God's grace is not abused. 
I want to be diligent in God's grace, and I want to do something for God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, all of us have received freely of God's grace. Whether that be salvation, or maybe your career, or income, maybe your house, whatever it is. Everything is by God's grace. Now, what are you doing with those? Are you being diligent in God's grace? That's what William Colgate found out. The secret, uh, secret uh, 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 success of the Christian life is not just being diligent in all the things that he does. No, but recognizing that everything that he has was by God's grace. And by God's grace, he was able to focus on what he could give to the Lord. And he was able to give toward Baptist Missionary Union. He was able to support a foreign missionary entirely. And he was able to give not one tenth, two tenths, or three tenths, but five tenths of all his income to the work of God in the world. William Colgate realized God's grace was not just to receive, but to abound. You see, ladies and gentlemen, any part of our lives where God's great touches, it will bring forth the increase. Do you realize that? Any part of your life where God's grace will touch, and you realize it, you give glory to God, I believe it will multiply, it will bring more more fruit. The reason why it's not bringing more fruit, the reason why it's not abounding, is because you're taking it for granted. You're abusing the grace of God. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope you get some increase in your family, your marriage, and your business, your career, your income, your love, your peace, your character, your wisdom, because you realize God's grace was free, and you realize God's grace is not just to receive, but to abound. 2 Peter 1, 2, let's read this scripture with, together. Ready? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be what? Multiplied. It's not just for us to receive it and just sit on it and bless your assurance, Jesus is mine. Though that's a wonderful hymn, by the way. But sometimes we're just sitting around. But it needs to multiply, my friend. He wanted to make sure that God's grace abounded in his life. How was he able to do so? As we think about the Apostle Paul, I'd like to share with you three spiritual assessments that Paul had in his life that helped him to abound. And we know Paul's life, if you have read it, and uh, it's, it's everywhere in the New Testament epistles. He gives his testimony many times. In 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 15, we see a little glimpse of it as well, and I'd like to share with you how he was able to abound in the grace of God. He received the grace of God. He got saved, and his life was changed, but also he realized that he needed to abound in the grace of God. Let me give you three spiritual assessments that Paul had in his life that helped him to abound. Number one, Paul's past. Paul's past. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. I am not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You know, grace can only abound more when a sinner recognizes his abounding in sin. You know, where sin abounded, 
grace did much more abound. You know, Paul was able to abound in God's grace to be more like Christ and to do more for Christ because he knew who he was before. He was Saul, the one who persecuted the church of God. And Paul's name was one Saul. And Saul is described this way in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, ye breeding out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. As he was breeding out persecution against the church, he wanted to do more. And that's why he wanted warrants or letter against the Christians on the way to Damascus so that he could arrest any individuals or even family members and even stone them to death so that Christians could be annihilated. And that was his passion in his life as Saul. Notice the words in Acts chapter 9, slaughter. He was breeding out threatenings and slaughter. The word slaughter in the English is killing or butchering of animals. I mean, this man was a very cruel man. He had no remorse or sympathy toward any blood, uh, any, any Christians who uh, had to spill their blood as a martyr. And the Bible describes Saul in Acts chapter 8 as well, that he was consenting over the death of, uh, a death of Stephen. And it means to approve and also to be pleased. And also he was applauding as well. And he was really contra- congratulating the crowd and also himself and saying, hey, we killed another one. We slaughtered another blasphemous man in Jerusalem. This man Saul was just like Nazi SS, if you want to compare it to modern history. He didn't care. He wanted to make sure these people were shut out from the community. He wanted to make sure that these people were also stoned to death if they were bold enough to confront the Pharisees and the Sadducees of those days. That was, Paul's, that, that was Saul's past. He's also described himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. He was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious. And then it says in verse 15, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Apostle Paul says, I was once Saul, and I was the chiefest of all sinners. And we know Paul as the most valuable Christian in the early church for the mission work in those days. That God used them mightily. And we respect him. We read about uh, his journey and we read his character, his personality in all the epistles. Well, ladies and gentlemen, before he got saved, he was a murderer. He killed Christians. And he recognized that I am the chief of all sinners. I'm the greatest sinner that ever lived. And from this assessment, Paul was now able to abound in the grace of God. How? By acknowledging who he was before. You see, by acknowledging our own past, my friends, we can also abound in God's grace. We can be more diligent and be be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's understand this by the story of Christ and the sinful woman. Let's go to our Bibles to Luke chapter 7. This is not on the screen, but let's go to your Bibles to Luke chapter 7 if you can. In the uh, Gospel of the New Testament, the third book of the New Testament is Luke. Luke chapter 7, let's go there and let's look at verse 39. 
Jesus Christ is bidden to come to a house of a Pharisee to dine and also have fellowship. And it says in verse 39 in Luke chapter 7, Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. So uh, this lady starts anointing Jesus' feet and touching Jesus. So the Pharisees are critical of this and, and says, you know, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he would not have this woman touch him. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Verse 41, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, he gives a story of two debtors. One, hundred pence, the other fifty. So he asked, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Meaning, those two who were forgiven of their debts, who will love the creditor more? In verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See thou this woman? I entered into thy house, that gave me no water for my feet. But she had washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with hairs of her head. Thou gave me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil that is not anointed, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. From this story, we recognize how our past could help us to be more diligent in the grace of God. You see, this lady realized who she was as a sinner. And she decided to anoint the feet of Jesus, the head of Jesus, even with tears. And Jesus says, Simon, you brought me to your home. You never gave me water to wash my feet. You never did anything like this. But this woman does so. The reason why is because she knows that she is a chief of sinners and that she is loving me the more because she has been forgiven the more. Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of sinner are you in your own sight today? Are you a righteous sinner? Oh, I'm not a sinner like those other people. Do you look at yourself and saying, you know, I have not sinned that much. I'm not that bad of a person. I guarantee you, you love God little. You're not that grateful for the grace of God. And I wonder if there are some people who have never been justified, never been forgiven by God's grace. Maybe there's somebody here who are just righteous in their own sight and They will go to heaven by their own works, by their own merit, and by their experience in church. But but ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is the one that can forgive your sins, not your works. It's Jesus' grace that can forgive your sins, not your merits. Trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and have the grace of God uh, 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 cleanse all your sins and, and have your name written in the book of life and have God in your life, not your own works. But if you're a Christian today... Oh, don't you declare yourself to be righteous so? 
Don't you declare yourself to be so good. No, don't you be so prideful of yourself. I guarantee you, when you're going in that direction, you're abusing the grace of God. And at the same time, you're not humbling yourself. And also, you're loving God little. Why? Because you love yourself so much. You're not fixing your eyes upon Jesus who has forgiven you so much. You're fixing your eyes upon yourself who is so righteous, who is so good. You're fooling yourself, my friend. Look at yourself in the mirror, in the eyes of God. What kind of sinner you were. How condemned you were. How guilty you were. How wicked you were. Realize the grace of God, my friend. Then I believe you'll love God more. One Christian, why some Christians are not diligent is because they're self-righteous, they're prideful. They think they deserve something. Would you let the grace of God abound in your life? Would you say, I'm the chief of all sinners? Would you say, you're a sinner, wicked sinner, just saved by grace? And by that, I believe that you'll love God more. Why are you so righteous? Why are you so better than others? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to be diligent in your Christian walk. You're not going to be diligent in your family. You're not going to be diligent in anything that you do. If you think that you deserve and you're worth something. No, ladies and gentlemen, may the grace of God abound in our life. Let us be humble. Let us love God more and less of ourselves. Number two, Paul's present. Paul's present. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Paul not only assesses past, but also his present. No one can live in the past. Sometimes it's good to look back and be grateful that God changed you. It's like driving a car and, you know, no one, you know, drives backwards. And uh, I think sometimes we need, to, we need to do that, coming out of the parking lot, maybe out of the garage. But it's only for just a little while. No one likes to drive backwards and looking at a rearview mirror. Going 40 miles per hour or maybe 60 miles per hour in the freeway. It's a very dangerous thing, isn't it? But we drive forward looking at a big windshield. And sometimes we need the real view mirror to see where we were before. We understand that. And the Christian life could be that way, and we need to see that real view mirror and to realize by God's grace we are who we are today. But the main focus of the Christian life is not about the old, it's about the new. It's about looking forward. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I know who I was before, but now by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul was able to abound in, in the grace of God because he realized who he was now. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. What was he saying? God changed my life. God made me whole. God gave, God gave me new life. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. In Colossians 3, 10, I put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, we have a fresh start. God has cleansed your sins. God has made you whole. And God has made you new. That means you need to make new decisions in your life. That means you need to make new resolutions, new thoughts, new goals, new life, and even new purpose. And God did not die on the cross. 
cross and God did not rise again the third day so that you could live after the old. No, God made you whole so that you could live after the new and chase after the things of God. And ladies and gentlemen, let us make sure we are bound in the grace of God in the things that God has given us presently and also in the future. And let us not abuse it by going back to the old man and living like the world and thinking like the world and reacting like the world. By the way, God did not make a mistake saving your soul, God's people say. When I received Christ my personal Savior when I was 18, God didn't say, oops, I made a mistake. Jesus, uh, Jimmy uh, received Jesus. I shouldn't have done that. No, he never said that. And when you have received Christ as your personal Savior, he didn't say, oops, either. He knew you'd be saved. He knew that you'll have an open heart. And also he knew that he would justify you and he would make you righteous and he will sanctify you and also one day glorify you. And, and also he knew that he would make your life new and he knew that he would make a new purpose and new goals in your life. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, your life is a great story of how God is working and how God is perfecting and maturing you to be like Him. And do not ever think that it's a mistake going to church and reading your Bible and witnessing for Jesus. Don't you ever, th- don't you ever uh, 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 conclude that your life is a mistake as you try to live a holy life, as you try to make the right decision for your family, and you try to make the right decision financially, and you try to make the right decision in also uh, uh, having a godly life and being a great example in your uh, workplace. Do not ever think that it's a mistake. No, it was God's purpose for your life. Do not ever think that. He says he will finish. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Have faith in God and what God is doing in your life. Have hope in God, what God is doing right now. Be surrendered in what God wants to do with you today. It's good. It's new. It's perfect. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, Brethren, I cannot myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before you know, Paul's saying, you know, I'm not living for the old, I'm living for the new. You know, Paul's name was Saul, like I mentioned before. You know what Saul means? Desire. Desire. But you know what Paul means? Paul means little. I don't know who gave Paul that name. By the way, Barnabas wasn't always Barnabas. The Christians gave him that name because he was a son of consolation. He was a son of encouragement. And I wonder if Paul was given that name, but I like to lean toward maybe that Paul gave himself that name. Now we'll find out in heaven. But as we think about his writing and how he saw himself. I think he was a very humble man. He knew what he deserved. And now by the grace of God, he is what he was. And he was able to preach the gospel rather than 
shutting out the gospel. And he says, I'm little. That's who I am. And he says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Apostle Paul says, I don't live. Saul died many years ago. Now Jesus lives. Yes, my name is Paul, but I'm very little because I have a big God who lives inside of me. I want Christ to reign in my life. And by God's grace, he was able to do that. By God's grace, you're saved just like so. You're saved by the same grace of God. The grace of God that I bestowed upon Apostle Paul, the same grace of God was bestowed upon you. Same forgiveness that Apostle Paul got, same forgiveness you got as well. God is not a respecter of persons. And as we have that same grace, what are we going to do about it? As we're in this new life by his grace, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to live for him? Are we going to live this new life and abound in it? Number three, Paul's persistence. I've got to be finished. For I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I'm sure you know the phrase workaholic. You know, Paul was a Christaholic. And uh, in every way, he was a Christian all the time. He was passionate, and he just couldn't get enough of being a Christian. He was addicted in loving and serving Christ, and he could do no otherwise. And even through suffering, he persevered and served God. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 of the Jews, five times received that 40 tri- stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten rods, once I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and day I've been in the deep, in journeys often in Paris, all waters, in Paris of robbers, in Paris my own countrymen, in Paris by the heathen, in Paris in the cities, in Paris in the wilderness, in Paris in the sea, in Paris among the false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, and watching often, and hungering and thirst, and fasting often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which come upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I mean, we think about Paul and we think about what kind of man he was and we could think about what he looked like. And as we think about Paul today, we could kind of picture him uh, with uh, maybe a nice uh, uh, garment and, and a neatly pressed uh, uh, shirt or uh, uh, maybe a, a well-groomed hair. But I believe as he is describing what he went through in the epistle here, uh, we could realize that uh, 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 Paul was a very tired man and that his body was probably very frail from the uh, travel that he was doing intensely. And also he had scars on his back because he said, I received 39 uh, 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 whippings from the Jews five times. If you do the math, that's 195 times. Can you imagine 195 whippings upon the body of a man? And can you imagine the scar that he had to bear? And also, can you imagine his sunken stomach from the hungering and the fasting that he had to do for the ministry? Could you imagine his worn-out clothes, thin and old from all the voyages? And we could imagine Paul so dishonestly sometimes, but I believe that's the perception we need to have. And even with all the suffering and even with all the heartaches, Apostle Paul was gladly doing everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
Apostle Paul says, it doesn't matter what I go through. It doesn't matter what kind of fight I am engaging in. It doesn't matter what kind of turmoil, what kind of perils I'm in. Hey, by the grace of God, I get to labor for Him, and I get to labor more than any other people. Some of you Christians are thinking, oh man, I'm tired. I'm just tired of going to church, and I'm tired of sowing, and I'm tired of tithing, and I'm tired of everything. Don't you know the preacher knows I go to work five times a week? And Don't you know the preacher... Uh, don't, don't, doesn't the preacher know I wake up 4 o'clock in the morning and, and uh, I'm just tired and I'm just doing everything I can and, and I'm out just throwing the towel and I don't feel like doing anything anymore. But, la- but ladies and gentlemen, the grace of God doesn't speak that way. Grace of God doesn't have self-pity party. Grace of God doesn't say, what I deserve, look at me. No, the grace of God says, looking unto the author and the finisher of my faith. You know, we are tired. I think about Mrs. Coe, she was tired. She lived a very tired life at the end. Chemo after chemo. But did you know that she was here almost every Sunday? Did you know she went to the charter service at Hillcrest Baptist Church with a wheelchair? She could have stayed home. But she said, I want to see this church that God planted by the giving of Bible Baptist Church and the prayer of Bible Baptist Church. You think she was tired? I think she was tired. But she fought a good fight. She finished her course. She kept the faith. I mentioned this on Wednesday night after the first round of cancer a couple years ago. She came back, sung in the choir, Made the coffee for the English ministry every Sunday. Came out on Saturday, cooked. Volunteered for Sunday, cooked. She could have said, oh, I have cancer. I, I'm tired. can't do anything for Jesus anymore. I'm just going to go to heaven soon, so I'll just relax. No, she didn't say that. He said, I still have a fight. I still have a course. I still have the faith to keep. I'm going to be talking about the three generations tonight. The worship of three generations. You know, parents, you're leaving something behind for your child and your grandchildren. By how you run this race. How you respond to the grace of God. What are you doing for Jesus? I didn't ask you what you're doing. A lot of people are busy here. I'm asking you what you do for Jesus. What are you doing for Jesus? Are you diligent in
May the grace of God abound. Mrs. Coe is in heaven today. She is now in retirement. Amen. She's playing tags with the angels. She's walking in the streets of gold. She has her mansion up in Hilltop, worshiping God. But now with no pain, with no trial, she's serving God now for all eternity, still serving God. Are you serving God today? Are you being diligent as a Christian?